Welcome to a special edition of the Cross-Border Interview Podcast. Today's episode, we will be talking about the 2021 federal budget. Well, we are back with a special edition of the Cross-Border Interview Podcast. Today, we are going to be dissecting the two-year-in-waiting federal budget with last week's guest on the show, Jen Sanford. Jen, how are you? I can't believe I'm back. This is why you make a vision board. This is why you make a vision board. I'm just manifesting my destiny at this point. Thank you for having me again. Hey, Jen, it was great. Like once I heard this budget, I listened to it uh, yesterday, April 19th. And I said, I need to do something about this. And who is the best person to talk about politics with me? It's Jen, the host of Conservative Like Me podcast. Um, Jen, after two years of waiting, two yes. years of no federal budget, Deputy yes. Prime Minister, Minister of Finance, Christina Freeland released. Christian. Christian Freeland. Sorry, sorry. Okay. Released a recovery plan for jobs, growth, and resilience. In theory, yes. Overall, what was your first initial reaction to this whopping Hundred and I want to make sure I get this right here. Uh, of course, I have it on the other page. Hundred and one point four billion dollars, billion mm-hmm. with a B in new spending. That's right. That's right. Or as I like to call it, more than a hundred percent of our GDP yeah. budget. Yeah. Um, okay. So here's here's the unpopular headline. Um, yeah, we waited two years, and I think that we should have kept waiting. I know that's a super unpopular opinion, but I think that um, we have to look at this through the lens of of uh, disaster management. And it is very difficult to deliver a budget that bridges the gap between covid response and covid recovery. And I think if you consider just how poorly the vaccination rollout has been going, um, just how dismal our our, you know, COVID strategy of vaccination has been, I think that this budget tried to straddle two things and that made it a really difficult way to deliver a budget because we have still like crisis response spending in here. And then we also have the, the economic recovery spending here as well. And I think it's like trying to anticipate what the cost will be to repair your basement while there's still water flooding into it. And, and I think that that, that cripples, I think the effectiveness of this budget a little bit. And I think it makes it really complicated for Canadians to understand really what this budget was like. I mean, the headline is hard here. I, I, I think you hit the hammer right on the head there. This is not a budget for one thing. This is a budget for all types of things. Um, yeah. I, I, I think uh, I, I think it was either CBC or CTV. One of the pundits on there said that there's nothing in this budget that a Canadian can't find that would be helpful to themselves. That's right. And that's and that is not how you should do a budget. You should not be throwing darts at a dartboard willy nilly trying to hit every single person. Uh you should be trying to get out of a pandemic, which we are currently in and moving into a recovery in 2022, 2023. So I agree with you wholeheartedly that even if the deputy prime minister, minister of finance and Trudeau decided let's wait until October to release this budget. I know it's going to piss off the opposition, but let's try and get everyone. Exactly. They're already mad. 
Yeah. I mean, they're already mad, but I think, I think, yeah, I, I think we're in agreement here that the reality is, is that, you know, we have this third, third wave, I think rather than the phone book budget, I think we should have got like a leaflet budget around. This is the stop gap. And this is where we're doing just more heavy lift uh, recovery spending, like response slash recovery spending. And then we're continuing to earmark the budget because I think what's happened here is that there is an expectation, I think of liberals. I think if we just take me out of the equation entirely, and I will speak for the opposite side of the political spectrum, I think that there is a, that there was a real feeling that this budget was going to be incredibly transformative, that this is your moment, right? I mean, we've talked about this, not to steal a term from Naomi Klein, but there is disaster capitalism here. I mean, even Christian Freeland accidentally said, like, you know, a pandemic presents a real opportunity. I uh, don't think that she meant it quite the way that, that people are taking it and the conservative party is exploiting it. But there is something there about this is the this is the pivot opportunity for you to say we're going to have transformative change in, in what we're going to be as a government and what we're going to be as a country post COVID. And that did not occur. It really was like a like an Oprah episode. You get a car, you get something you get. It's like every special interest group has been satisfied. Every bracket of voter that you want has been satisfied. But we really didn't do anything innovative when you look at this budget. Well, I, I think, and yet again, you should never trust what people put on Twitter, but former leader of the Canadian Alliance and former conservative uh, cabinet minister Stockwell Day tweeted yesterday, the election campaign may be over, the likely result, a liberal majority, I hope Tories aren't mad at me, it's just reality. We now have an entire generation of voters who have no fear of debt or deficits. And there is at least one thing in this budget for every everyone, which I would... As someone who is a liberal and a liberal in the sense of John Chrétien liberal, I don't like mm -hmm. deficits. I do not like uh, uh, debt. Uh, I try to pay off all debts. Like, yes, you have to take on debt to buy a house, but that is good debt. That's what, smart we saw, debt. what we saw yesterday was not smart debt. This is right. throwing the just everything at the wall and hopefully something will make this re, uh, uh, economy go. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't. I think you make some tremendously compelling points there, but I, I don't want to miss out on the fact that, you know, it's, I'm so happy to hear that Stockwell Day still has one follower on Twitter. So thank you for that. That's a You're public welcome. service to Canada. Thank you. Good for you. Good for you. I, you know, I disagree with a little bit of that. Um, really? I, I think, yeah, I do disagree a little bit with what he said. Um, not entirely, but I do think that, uh, I think there's just a lack of recognition around the compounding problem that's occurring here. And I think that the conservative government yesterday did a terrible job of trying to explain it that, you know, the Canadians really need to understand that, you know, 40% of Canadians pay taxes. So 60% of you don't care. Let's be honest. And so that the, you take 40% of, of this money, you take the debt, you take the servicing of that debt. You take the fact that we know that interest rates are going to increase because we do not live in a fantasy land then you're going to add inflation onto that. Then you're going to look at policy choices that limit your economic growth. Like we talk about on my podcast around the, around the now constitutional carbon tax, you know, there could be, you know, upwards of 200,000 jobs lost. So it's, it's the compounding problem that's creating the pressure here that, that gives me pause. And so I, I do think that there are Canadians out there who this morning, are thinking this feels really dismal to me and I don't really know what this means. And I'm, I'm frustrated that my, my home party, the party I'm repping for the conservatives didn't really nail that on the head yesterday. It drives me nuts that their response once again is like, Nope. <laughs> and you're like, well, well 
Aaron O'Toole hasn't come out and said if they're going to support this uh, budget, have they? Because as of the, as of recording, I have not seen anything from them. I know he was going to talk to his caucus yesterday and today was going to be the day he was going to talk to them. But I haven't seen anything. Have you? No, like, I mean, all the rhetoric on on social is like the cupboards are bare. This government has failed us. It's time to go. It's time for them to be finished. I, I, I just can't believe that we're 2021 where you've got the world of social media at your disposal and your your answer to a phone book budget is nope. I mean, let's be honest. Let's just kind of unpack it a little bit, because I, I always like to look for like the parts of the budget that nobody cares about. I would have liked to have seen O'Toole honor some of the wins. Yeah. I mean, he, he, like, there are some wins here. I, I mean, as you know, like I come from the environmental space, um, $60 million over the next two years to protect wetlands and trees. That's great. That's a win for everybody. I think that that's going to be, I think that's going to be a lot of fun. I hope, and I hope that the, that the government has this in mind that if this money comes to fruition, that you make nonprofits fight for it, make them fight over it, make them bid hard to say, I can conserve this many acres of wetlands and then let another organization come forward and say, I can scale it to 1.1 million acres of wetlands. Like let them fight for it to see what the real yield is on that. That's you know, that's something, um, Another and it would have worked win. perfectly into what Aaron O'Toole said last week with his environment plan, right? He can yes. be the guy that is the environment. Like the conservatives Absolutely. are getting a bad rap right now because of what they announced. But hey, we do respect the environment. And yes, yep. what Trudeau announced, while it might be a Trudeau, it might be a liberal thing, we respect We're behind that. it. Exactly. Yeah. Acknowledge the wins. I think the other win for them to get behind is 116 million over two years to address the opioid epidemic. I think for battleground states, <laughs> yikes, battleground provinces <laughs> like uh, like British Columbia, that's a real winner. I mean, they. I mean, how much has has the premier and 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 civic action groups out of British Columbia been saying our our COVID numbers aren't even close to our our opioid overdose numbers? I mean, if you're going to address you know a crisis, address our real crisis in this province, I would have loved to have seen Aaron O'Toole came, come out and say, okay, listen, listen, we've had some real wins and I'm behind the wins, but my central beef is the problem that we have a yield problem. Like, why can't he explain this to Canadians the way I mean, why can't he just do it the way I want to do it? Which is him saying like, listen, it's one thing to spend money. And I understand that the government wants to spend money. This is your window to spend money. Um, the circumstances have dictated that you can spend some money, but we have to talk about why we we are not a nation of yielding a return on capital investment. To say to the government, for every one dollar we're going to spend, we want to yield out four dollars, and that's 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 how we spend. Like th- this is this is now not the mechanism of spending, which is why I hate the argument about uh, about paying off the debt. Like please don't. That's what a loss leader argument. Now um, it is about what will yield you the highest return on investment, and that's where Aaron O'Toole has to. Come come out and say, education is the yielder that yields childcare. I mean, I'm well on the record in my podcast this year of saying we are so overdue for a national childcare strategy. We're ripe. All you have to do is just take what, what uh, Quebec did and just scale it. It's just, a, it's just a policy scalability issue. And Which we're going to talk I'm about, sh- we're going to talk about childcare because that was one of the big things, but continue on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the, my, the last thing was pharmacare. I, I really think that that was a, that was a, a whiff uh, for this budget. Uh, Pharmacare should have been in there. I can't believe, I cannot believe it wasn't, but I hope if Aaron O'Toole is listening to this podcast, which let's all 
let's all just hope he does that he's thinking, you know what, to be able to say this, this budget doesn't do a national pharmacare program. And now conservatives are going to own that if, if the liberals are simply uninterested. And that allows you to, to do something that is a political unicorn. You get to work with the NDP on that. One of the things that I found interesting during Aaron O'Toole's uh, press conference yesterday is he started mentioning provinces that he needs to win to form government. He mentioned <laughs> BC. I know he mentioned BC, he mentioned Ontario, he mentioned Quebec. One of the things that I found interesting in this uh, uh, budget, which goes to your point of things that he could have said, you know what, we need to do this, was the tax on vacant properties owned by foreigners. Yes. Yes. I could have screamed when that, when that came out, what a winner that is the, that is the untold story in, in this budget is this is such a smart, smart tax. tax Downtown tax. Vancouver has just flipped B, uh, from the NDP. Hey, like it is one of the easiest wins that the liberals could have done and they did it. And I was surprised that they did it because it's been one of these ongoing issues for the last probably five years, 10 years, that it has been a constant uh, issue raised in provincial elections. And the federal government just said, you know what? Enough's enough. We're going to tax them. Yeah, I feel like such a hypocrite because one of the things that I was really watching for in this budget was I really didn't want to have a lot of federal oversight on issues that were largely provincial. That's that's my beef with this minimum wage. And will I think might be my beef on childcare a little bit is I don't want to take away the efficacy of the provinces to manage their, their own stuff. But when they said we're going to tax foreign ownership of both non-resident, non-Canadian ownership, I just I just could have just screamed. I thought this is such this is going to be such a a win to deal with with housing uh, challenges in our major cities. And, and as someone who spent, you know, a lot of time in, in, in BC, like they need this. And, and this is a smart way to bring money into the government and to, for it to be an annuity. Like it's, it's an annual tax. It's not a one time. It's yeah. we're going to hit you at 1% every year. I think that's a smart, smart business. And I'll give them credit for that. And I wish O'Toole had too. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, like you said, one of the things that I found interesting in this budget was the overstep from the provinces. Uh, mm -hmm. This federal budget sort of started introducing uh, programs and things that are out of their jurisdiction. Like you said, the uh, federal minimum wage that they're going to be is to $15 and then childcare and childcare was one of the biggest, if not the largest uh, new announcements that they made. And it, is a 50-50 split with provinces. Province will put up 50% of the budget and the federal government. Yet again, they have no buy-in from any province right now. And that is probably right. one of the downsides to this whole uh, announcement is now the province can say, no, we don't want to go 50-50. We want to go 70-30. We don't want to pay out because we're already asking for money for health transfers. We're not going to be forking out money. So I was... I was wondering if you were going to say that. I was wondering if you're going to say that. Sorry to cut you off, but I think what should be really noted that is not in this budget. I mean, there's something for everybody, <laughs> but what's not in this budget that really matters here is no new money for the Canada health transfer, right? Yeah. They're staying at the 3% that Harper had. They're staying with 3%. I wonder how much this is going to be a bargaining chip for the provinces to say, we'll look at childcare. We'll come to the table on childcare at 70, at 70, 30, but you better come with, with an additional 5% or more on, on these, on these healthcare transfers. I wonder if this will be a barter system because I, I am quite surprised uh, given the pressure on the healthcare system and given the fact that if there's one thing that provinces are united on, despite, you know, their, um, their political purview, it has been saying that this, this, this health transfer at 3% is not enough. And, 
and and so I, yeah, I'm I'm interested that they 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 put on this healthcare they put on this childcare thing, but didn't come to the table on on the healthcare piece. I think Which, that's weird. I, I thought it was too, and I think and yet again, I I don't I'm not privy to the behind the scenes, but. Like you said, it could be a tit for tat. Hey, we'll give you this, but you better be willing to fork out some money. And this projection of next year's deficit is going to be half of this year's deficit. I highly, I highly doubt that because like you said, things need to be uh, ebb and flow. And if the provinces all band together, which they, I think all but one is saying, Hey, we need more money for federal tax or federal healthcare spending. Then I think Trudeau needs to come to the table and say, yes, we'll go into the deficit a little bit more and you'll get your transfer, but we are staking our reputation on this uh, childcare, $10 a day childcare program. As a conservative yeah. though, do you agree with the $10 a day daycare? Yes. Really? Yeah, I do. I do. Listen. Okay, go ahead. I, listen, I, you know, like I said in my, in my podcast this season, I, I'm, I am struck by how we really want to have progressive households. And yet it was women pulled out of the economy for childcare. I don't know if that's like a conversation we need to be having in the home or if that's, I'm not really sure, but I am, I am frustrated by how many women were, were pulled out of, out of the economy, um, does it play for, well for, in just the in the downtown centers of like Calgary, Edmonton, Vancouver, or does it play well, well across the country? Though this will be this is always the question, right? Is can it scale to Saskatchewan, right? Can yeah. it scale to the Yukon, right? This is the question, and I think that provinces have two choices: I, provinces with a high um, high urban centers with high urbanization. I think that taking advantage of this program, I think will deliver a similar return on investment that it did for Quebec. I mean, let's not forget Quebec is the gold standard model. You ask Quebec and they will tell you this yielded a positive return on investment. We feel confident that we can say that that provincial of uh, provincial childcare program paid for itself. And I think in other in, uh, in like Ontario, Alberta, um, British Columbia, I think it does work. What I would be interested to see if the pivot from from places like Manitoba and and um, and Saskatchewan and some of the maritime provinces, if they didn't defer back and say, if you want this to be a federal program, then give it federal oversight and we forfeit delivering it at the provincial level. Hire federal employees, deliver it at the federal level, bring in bilingualism, do all the things that you do when you make it a federal program. Um, make it a make it a corporation. Away you go. I'll be interested to see if they would if they would take a, an opt out clause to say this doesn't make sense for us. Yeah. We don't need it. One of the other things that was introduced was oversight and standards for long term care facilities, which has been a big issue in Ontario. Mm. It has been a big issue in Quebec with some recent scandals of covid and neglect of our elderly. Were you surprised that this was one of the big things that they pushed for in this budget? Well, not big, but one thing that they did push for in this budget, because it is a winner in Ontario and Quebec. But is it a winner out in here at West? I don't think so. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I don't think so. I think, um, yeah. I, I, listen, to put a my, national my, standard on anything is hard. It is, and I apologize. Me nervous, yeah. Exactly. Because what's good for Quebec is not always good for Alberta. And I hate to exactly. say that we are one country, but let's be honest, it doesn't work. Yeah, we fly one flag, but the strength is, has been our diversity and, and really keeping the efficacy and the power in these provinces. I'm, I'm a very big fan of that. I am nervous about, I, I do think it's a form of disaster capitalism when you have a lot of, a lot of oversight. I feel like we're going to see the same thing with this, with this minimum wage thing as a, as a federal mandate. Um, I, 
I'm, I'm just not sure. I'm just not sure. I, any type of oversight. I mean, what is, what is that really? Is that going to be like a book of standards and practices? Like, yeah. I don't really even know what that's going to, I, before I get all excited about it, I'd like to see what it actually means when it manifests. I feel that about so many things here. Like I, I was looking at, I, I printed out a list and I just kind of started circling the ones where I'm like, what does that really, like, what is that going to look like in practice? Like, you know, even, um, you know, 14.3 million over five years to ensure indigenous women and girls have access to sports activities. What, like why, like we have kids sport, we have the, like that's for the nonprofit sector. Like, are you just going to push money? Like, what does that even look like? Like, I just kind of circled it and thought, what is that in, in actuality? Like, what is that going to manifest itself to be? I mean, it's not a big amount of money if you consider the, you know, 70 trillion dollars of this budget i like i it's not a big amount of money but it is a questionable amount of money i feel the same thing about you know another 21 million to the cbc to get them through the pandemic you know we use ctv and global and they're gonna just they're doing fine like why is that why is that there uh 50 or 39.3 million 30 40 million let's not mince words 40 million over two years to support the book industry what I'm sorry. Like, I, I'm 90% sure every person has a Kindle now, or the majority of people who read books have a Kindle now. So you do not need to be printing books. Yet again, I love books. I'm not going to say that listen, I don't love books. We're books and button people. Like we get that, but I, but I like, what does that even look like? What is that? Like, it's yeah. just like, it was just thrown in there. Like I had no idea the book lobby was so active in Ottawa. Congratulations. If you work for a magical book lobby, but I just, um, yeah, I just, the airline industry budget that came out that yet again. Oh, okay. As a, as someone who has a partner who works in the airline industry, I, I can understand that the airline industry is one of those things that you kind of need, but the amount of money that they've gotten in this budget kind of shocks me. Yeah. I mean, well, they were so, di- they, the airline industry was so disenfranchised um, and, and there's going to be more to come and there's also going to be more to come um, by way of, of tourism and travel. Uh, but even, even better, 101 million over two years to help wineries. Like we all drank through COVID. Sorry to break it to you. We did. I did my part. Talk about a role for civic society. I did my part. I did my part. I'm 90% sure. First it was toilet paper. Then it was wine that was (laughs) off the shelf. So I'm pretty sure the wines are good, but yet again, that's the great thing about having so many industries that have lobbyists. They can lobby the government and this government, like you said, listen to everyone this time. But what I'm saying is like that there's the opportunity for the conservative party to say, show me what in this budget yields a one to four return on capital investment and we're going to get behind it. But you need to tell me that this 101 million, are we going to make $404 million from our wineries to adapt to ongoing and emergency uh, challenges? Is that, do we want to have that kind of, I mean, I, I guess it just comes back to the fact that had we had a sole recovery budget, not just a response and recovery budget, I would have wanted it to be far more imaginative than this. Like you can come back to now Christia Freeland and say, what is the vision of your Canada in a post COVID environment? You talked about build back better. You talked about build back, right. You talked about all these things. Now show me what in this budget tells us are our values as Canadians in an economic recovery. Where is infrastructure in this, right? Where, like I, I mean, there's some wins in here, but I think it, it begs more questions than it, than it does answers or or avenues um i i personally think 
this budget should have been delivered last year. This yeah, is maybe. the, hey, we're giving everyone what they want because we know this is going to be a year, two year uh, pandemic and no one's going to be able to afford anything. This pand- this budget is not a budget for growth. And like you said, like we've said numerous times, there is no yield back platform to say, okay, we're spending this money and this is how we're going to get it back. I just don't see it there. Yeah. And I think when you, when you deal with the fact that like this, this, this is a scary amount of money. I mean, I, I'm sure we've all been looking at it on, on, on Twitter that, you know, yesterday's, uh, yesterday's budget when coupled with all of Trudeau spending um, is more than, than all of Canada's prime ministers combined. Like that's one, that's five, five years, four or five years. He's been, he's been our leader and we're at 662 billion compared to 630 billion with all the other guys combined and guys, unfortunately is the right term there. And I think that. True. She didn't have the budget. <laughs> that's, that's right. Um, and I think, um, <laughs> I think that the challenge for that is, is to say like, okay, alrighty. Okay. I get that it was a global pandemic. I get that we got to reboot everything. Uh, if you're going to assume all of this, all of this responsibility for our economic growth, uh, tell me how we're going to yield a return on investment for this, because otherwise it's just going to fall to taxpayers. And we got to get really disciplined. We got to get really disciplined on this message. Um, yeah. One area I, that I found interesting, and this is, this is, COVID spending is the workers budget that they gave to continue the Canadian recovery benefit, increase EI, uh, flexible access to EI benefits, other recovery for EI benefits and support for seasonal workers. uh, And then the Canadian recovery caregiving benefit, they gave $19.8 billion to this. And yet again, there has to be a time and I know there are still people who are using these benefits who are accessing these benefits, but there has to be a time in the world where you have to say enough's enough and we have to start scaling it back. They did scale back some, but not all. What is your opinion on how they are working with uh, the workers and small businesses during this pandemic in this budget? Well, I'm going to be interested with what is going to be the response of small businesses that are going to say, I actually am having a hard time recruiting people to work for me because they basically have a universal basic income basically uh, through these, through these variety of, 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 um, of benefits. Again, I want to separate out this additional spending from the budget because I think that there's like the crisis spending, your, your response spending. And then there's, then there's the budget, which is what do we need to, what do we need to do to, to be the Canada that, that Trudeau envisions we can be. Um, Yeah. I would like to have seen, uh, I, I mean, Trudeau is going to be your best friend as prime minister. He's determined that. But as I've said, we don't just need a best friend. We need a little bit of a dad now. And he, and I would like to hear him say, um, we're going to reach vaccination immunity on September 1st. And then we're going to roll these back right away. It's Didn't time you hear for the what world he said to go back today, to he, he's oh, God, I'm, we're going to he's going to go to UK in June because that's when the G7 summit is. So he's going to be able to go with his vaccine, which he's highly looking for right now because he's now in that age category that can get. That's right. He's calling pharmacies. He's calling yeah. pharmacies like the rest of us in this yes. ridiculous rollout. Totally. He's he's the one calling. <laughs> um, but I, I agree that he should have put more points into 
this is this is the, this is our Z point. This is our point where we start mm-hmm. to recover because until that moment, until we know what his date is, because it seems to change every week. It was June, then it's September, now it's August, now it's like November. Who knows? But until he actually says, "This is the date that I want everyone," like Joe Biden did down in the states, "This is the date that I want everyone back to normal, quote unquote, vaccinated, whoever wants it." Mm-hmm. We are still going to be in this recovery mode. And everyone is going to be looking at the government for handouts. Yeah, I mean, we have now taught Canadians, unfortunately, that uh, you cannot fail. Your government will protect you and and cover you. And so when you start with that mental model, it becomes very different to then step out of that. Um, You know, I... I don't think it should be lost that that we should be very disappointed in our government with how this vaccine rollout has gone. Um, it, this is this is terrible. We're at like four point five percent in in this province that we're in right now. That's just simply cannot stand. Um, we've got you know the proliferation of of misinformation. Uh, I I just can't stop laughing as a woman because people are like oh but the blood clots and I'm like yeah how, how many women have been on birth control where the risk is fifty thousand times what it is in this vaccine um it it drives me absolutely crazy just get if you're listening get vaccinated just get vaccinated even it's a b12 shot just go it'll feel good just go um we should but be bill so gates. disappointed bill gates is gonna <laughs> chip microchip me oh boy oh boy um yeah um I think we should be very disappointed with this government that these additional benefits are coming out because the vaccination strategy failed. That is the reason why this additional money is being spent. It's not because we felt we needed it. It's not because we felt like it was warranted. It's not because we wanted to support Canadians. It was because we could not get the economy rolling. We could not get life back to normal and we could not get people vaccinated. This extra money falls right on the plate of the people responsible for the vaccine procurement and rollout. And availability. No question about it. I mean, we can we can armchair expert this for forever that we should have had our own vaccine production. I will continue to, to, to tout that on. You can find me on Twitter just touting that every day. But the reality is, is that we should be very understanding that a significant amount of this budget, which is still the response part of this budget, occurs because we failed our vaccination rollout as a national campaign. So how do we There's do no better? Let's be honest, because we are one country in a world of 200 and some odd countries. How do we get the but how do we get the vaccines when our neighbors to the south are bogarting all of it? We manufacture it here. OK, in a perfect world, we're not doing that. So how do we how do we, how do we continue to vaccinate people while not making it here? Well, you know, now we're so far down the path that our only option is going to be that other Wait, countries see? as they reach her, as they reach their herd immunity. I mean, look, even today, the deal that um, that they struck to between Manitoba and oh, God, North, is it Dakota. North Dakota, yeah. yeah, North Dakota, which I, I only acknowledge one Dakota because like Bill Maher, I don't understand why there's four senators representing those two states when they have more cows than people. So the Dakota and Manitoba, they struck a deal to vaccinate. I like if I'm the CEO of WestJet right now, I'm I want to get an email pop down in my that says fly to Vegas. We'll get you a vaccine and a show and a hotel and you can just enjoy and a free beverage and get a vaccine and then fly home. Um, and, you, and, you know, like you see Alaska has, has made their vaccine publicly available for sale now. And that's I think that's what's going to start to happen is we're going to have to split the difference here um, if we can't start to get these vaccines available to us. I do think that we will 
get more vaccines as other countries reach herd immunity uh, or vaccination immunity or whatever the term is. Um, but I think we should be very disappointed that this was our Canadian effort. I thought it was going to be this. Did you not think this man? I thought it was going to be this magical time where we like had photos and everybody was getting vaccinated and it took us like 40 days. And, you know, the prime minister got it last because he's like everybody first eaters eat like leaders eat last. I thought it was going to be this magical thing. And instead it was such a shit, such a shit show, man. I, there's good things and bad things that I can say about every person this time during this vaccine rollout and procurement has been such a letdown. I have been like, I am Godsmack that Trudeau thinks that he's doing a good job with this. And this is the best he could do. Hey, yeah. we can only get as much as people are willing to give us. No, you go down and you say, screw you guys. We ordered it first. We get it first. That's right. <laughs> Let's be That's honest. That's right. Yeah. And and us having to beg other countries. And I mean, you talk to people from other countries and they're just like, are you guys doing OK? Like what happened? Right. Like, you, you know, we talk about him. He's going to go to this G7, G8 conference. And what? Like just, hey, guys, you didn't really have my back there. Um, yeah. And what an awkward and- conversation. <laughs> <laughs> but back to the budget. We back are- to the budget. <laughs> Sorry, Which, there's so much more I want to talk about in this budget. So no, and that's what that's why I'm glad I'm here. What were some of the things that you were not surprised at, but also not uh, over overwhelmingly happy about? Like, okay, there's things in there that you might have said, okay, I under I expected this to be in there. Were there things like that? Um, you know, I I knew that there was going to be something in terms of an incentive. Uh, for um, solar panels and electric cars. I the knew $40,000 grant? No, that's, yeah, that's yes. something else? Well, yes. Yeah, we'll talk about that. But I wanted it to be more than that. I, I had talked in my podcast about how um, I wanted to address sound pollution with this initiative as well i would have liked to have seen us be the place to build floating wind turbines noise reduction propellers wind powered ships i would like to have seen all of that included in there um the other thing that i think i'm particularly disappointed in and i mark my words if this program works i will eat my hat i will come on my show and eat a whole hat because they talked about the free loan for innovation like the it's called the retrofit residential program the 4.4 billion and it's basically you can get an interest-free loan to, yep. to do improvements in your home. Uh, back to my earlier statement about debt servicing, interest rates, inflation, policy changes leading to job instability, the fact that 55% of Canadians are at risk of insolvency. Uh, the majority of Canadians now are one paycheck away uh, and they're going to write out a universal basic income subsidy. Do you really think there's going to be that much uptake for this program? Like I just thought it's still a loan. You yeah. still have to pay it back. I And when the Pembina Institute said, like, let's take a victory lap on this because this is going to create 10,000 jobs. I thought, if that is true, I will come on your show and eat my hat. I will. There's no way. There's no way. That to me feels like a fantasy on top of a fantasy on top of a trip to Disneyland to me. And we have seen so many uh so many models of this from previous governments. I think Martin had a uh, government uh, loan guarantee for green retrofit your house. Stephen Harper had it. And then they got rid of it because no one was using it. 
Exactly. And now they bring it back as this big, like this is the signal to green jobs. And I think we really, as a country have to wrestle down what are green jobs, who will scale green jobs, what will green jobs look like and who will be responsible for it. And I think that if this is it, there's no way there's absolutely no, absolutely no way. Was there anything else? Yeah. I I feel like I feel like, you know, something that Kenny had been really pushing was carbon capture technology. And I really feel strongly in this that, you know, we tax carbon, but we're not doing anything with carbon. Like we need to, we need to actually pull carbon away. So that's why I'm in so much for the, for the wetlands and the trees, because that's going to, you know, a covered earth is a healthy earth. Right. And so that'll, that'll do something with carbon. That'll actually move carbon. But, you know, Carbon capture technology was always meant to say that keeps our energy sector in the game. And I know that critics are very vocal that they say that, you know, any investment in that nature will delay our transition. But the truth is, is that there's still unprecedented demand for our energy. So why like it, it just it just felt like, no, because it, it doesn't have enough of a transition period. Um, we can't do it. But we've got lots of other stuff that, that is responding to 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 a slow transition to something else. And I, I really do feel like that was a big affront uh, to the energy sector, not investing anything in carbon yeah. capture technology. Well, and it, from my perspective, and you'll correct me if uh, you saw something differently, but there wasn't really much for the established energy industry right now, the yeah. oil and gas sector. Like there was no mention of, hey, we're going to help uh, like wean us off the fossil fuels as Justin Trudeau wants to do. We'll get those workers into other jobs, into green jobs. There was not much mention about that, in my opinion. Yeah, I wonder if that's an effort to get the block to support this budget. Right. Because we know that the block would have been like, no way, I won't support this budget if there's anything related to oil and gas in it. But I do think that that's a missed innovation. And when we look at yielding a return on investment, if that's an investment dollar that then yields us more because industry comes back to the table and says, oh, is this a place where we can do business? I mean, let's not forget we've lost 46 percent of our of our of our foreign investment. People don't want to do business here because we make it so complicated. This budget made it a little more complicated. And I would have liked to have seen an effort to say we're going to invest in something that does actually welcome business to come in and and looks at how we can take our energy sector off life support a little bit. So I'm disappointed. One of the, yeah, there's a lot of things to be disappointed in this budget. That (laughs) is one of them. One of and I'm sorry if I'm like, I'm, if my eyes are darting over to my screen, I'm just trying to figure out where we are in my, my, my mess of post-it notes of what we need to talk about. And I know I don't make it easy for you because I'm like, let's talk about this. I want to talk about this. But I love it. Um, (laughs) They also introduced a plan, just a plan, to launch uh, in coming months, not tomorrow, not next week, in coming months, a federal green bond framework allowing investors to help finance Canada's climate initiatives. Okay, if you don't have a plan already in place, if you do not have the ideas already laid out, do not introduce something that you do not know when it's going to be actually introduced. This government is so good at saying we're going to do something. We're just not going to tell you when we're going to do it or how we're going to do it. We're just going to say that we're going to set up something that we could potentially do in the future. And this this budget did that on numerous occasions. And just as we're talking about green infrastructure, that was one thing I did want to talk about. Yeah, I think that that's also been my beef of their climate plan. We're going to consult. 
We're going to build a strategy. We're going to work with stakeholders. I mean, if you read their, if you read their environmental plan, it is a lot of thinking. And I'm pretty sure that Canadians are ready for more than that. And I think that that's why the conservative plan didn't get its due. I mean, I still am trying to figure out what the, what the savings account part of that, of that plan is. I, I wish that I, this is a great example where I say to O'Toole, use charts and graphs and pictures because that got real complicated real fast. And all people took away was carbon tax. But underneath that, there were some real ideas that were like implementably ready. And and that has been my beef with with the environmental plan. And we did see a little bit of that of that here. Like we're going to think about thinking about a thing we're going to think about later. And the other thing is that, you know, a lot of people celebrating even the child care plan need to hear the, 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 you know, the first paragraph of that headline, which is that it's going to take five years to get off the ground. What? When you have a model like Quebec and you're looking to scale that model five years, if you have little kids, you're, you're, you're real ready. Like if you, you're not having kids five years from now, you have kids now. Exactly. Exactly. And if we're looking at something that's going to yield a return on investment for Canadians and drive people into the economy, like five years seems like a ridiculous amount of time. And for someone who went on every program, Christian Freeland did, and went on every program and said, this is a feminist budget. I'm here for women. As a woman, she ought to know five years is about four and a half years too long. There's only 35 million of us. We can do this. Well, and with Alberta having, or had had, had had, yeah, had had a good Nat provincial daycare program, $25 a day daycare. It's not that hard to do it. You just need to uh, rip the cord and say, we're going to do it today and we're going to get it done. Yet again, it's this kicking the can down the road and hopefully come election time. Hey, look, we're five years. We're going to do this. No, do it now because the voters yeah. need it now. So, yeah, it's I I feel like that's cheap electioneering being able to say we said we were going to do it. So don't forget that we said we're going to do it. And it's like, we'll do it. (laughs) I mean, the liberals are so great at that. I think we we, the liberals promised pharmacare back in 1997, for God's sakes. Right. So (laughs) like we're still not there. I can't believe for like it's clear to me from this budget that uh, Jagmeet Singh has no influence. Like, like I thought there'd be a little bit more cooperation between the libs and the, and the NDP. It's not here. It's not here in this budget. I am shocked that especially considering they just came out of a policy convention, none of their big sound bites are, are in here. Now, some of their sound bites are like, hi, let's ride the train to crazy town. But I am surprised that there wasn't more of a leaning into pharmacare. I'm shocked that, that, that wasn't something that would, I think it's such a bring people to the table. This is the moment for pharmacare. Do you think it would have, Jagmeet Singh has already come out and said that he's going to support the budget. So we are not going to an election because the Liberals and the uh, the NDP have a majority in the House of Commons. But do you think that he should have gone to an election? I know with a pandemic, it's probably not the smartest thing. But this, like, to get your ideas on the table, you have to be willing to blink or not blink right and Jagmeet Singh blinked on this and he said you know what I don't have the sway that I thought I had I'm okay with whatever the liberals propose and I'm willing to just go along for the ride because we're a caucus of 24 and we don't want to go to a election where we could be reduced by half 
Um, you know, it works for me because my party, the conservative party isn't doing their job. So they need time, uh, to, to get on message and to figure out that they are live in an echo chamber and that's going to cost them a, a, another leadership race. So I'm good with it on that front, but I do believe that if, if, if Jugmeet Singh had conviction, he'd say, let's pull a, let's pull the ripcord and see what happens. Uh, do you think the block would have come out? Mm, Because they they haven't said if they're going to support the budget, have they? No, they have not. Uh, No, they have not. God, I love those guys. They're just like the mob. I love it. Uh, Wait till the last minute. Wait till the last minute. Put a Um, horse head in your bed and then make a decision. Yeah, we've we've talked about the good. We've talked about things that uh, this budget has and are. Let's be honest. Some things that are good, some things are bad. But what is the worst part of this budget, in your opinion? The worst part of this budget is what? Is X? Oh, do I choose only alphabetically or chronologically? If you uh, want no, to take I, 10 minutes, I'll just go get a coffee. <laughs> go for it. That's right. That's right. Welcome to the podcast. I'm your new host, Jennifer Sanford. Nice, nice, nice to have you here. like me, part two. <laughs> part two. Part two. Um, you know, I, I do believe that there was a lack of restraint and rigor overall as an overarching theme. I think there needed to be a better effort from from this government to say um, we have our response stuff. We have our recovery stuff. And then we have the not now stuff. You do have to make some decisions. Um you know, 300 million for arts and culture. Like I'm a big pr- proponent of arts and culture. We cannot afford it at this time. We, it, that's an, that's an act of restraint. Um, you know, I truly, I, I truly felt, sorry to interrupt. I truly felt I was listening to an NDP budget. Oh yeah. Yeah. I felt like I was just, I was in a nightmare. I was naked. It was awful. It was hard to take. Um, you know, there's, there's stuff in here that, um, you know, they make it, they make it miserable to stand against it. I mean, 3.6 or sorry, 5.6 million to commemorate the victims of, of, of two plane crashes. I'm all about commemorating victims of plane crashes. I'm pretty sure that's the purview of an airline, right? They're heavily insured to do these kind of things and they could do it in partnership with the government. I mean, there's no place for the market to go here. It's just the government saying the government will do everything. And, and this is something that I, I've certainly championed is what does it mean to be conservative today? And it means that you give a place for the market to go. And all of this says is that the government has to be part of it. The government has to fund it. The government has to scale it. The government has to have oversight and purview of it. If it's, if it's, you know, provincial or municipal. And I think that that's dangerous territory. I think that that's just dangerous. We are, we are a three-legged stool where the government and the market and the civic society. And I don't want to sit on a stool with only one prong on it. It's not comfortable. But is the marketplace not hurting right now? Take out the Amazons, take out the Walmarts. Let's look at these small mom paws. Is the marketplace not hurting right now? Because let's be honest, I'm, I'm a small business. Uh, we had three of our clients leave us because of COVID-19 and mm-hmm. we are hurting yet again. We, we tapped into the COVID, the, Canadian recovery benefit when it was first introduced. But after that, we stopped because we were able to survive. But is the marketplace not hurting? From a small business point, a small business owner, I believe it is. From your perspective, what is, how is it going? 
you know, I do believe it's hurting, uh, but I believe it was hurting unnecessarily before COVID um, because market didn't know where to go and how to belong. And, uh, you know, we made it we made it punishing the way we the way we tax and try to keep small businesses small. Um, it's miserable what we do to them. And so um, I, you know, I do believe in these supports for 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 businesses in the in the COVID response part. I'm, I'm not disputing that. But where is the innovation to say we're going to be a tech hub. I've, I thought about this when they talked about, oh God, now I'm going through all of my sticky notes. When they talked about uh, uh, 4.4 billion, uh, that might be wrong. When they talked about the number for, we're going to convert office space in our, in our downtowns to affordable housing. And I thought, well, that's you even saying, we don't even believe businesses will come back. I think that where was the incentive to bring tech here? Where was the incentive to bring, you know, to, to, to honor, you know, if it was very similar to what they did with, um, with uh, green jobs, if you're going to build these types of materials like solar panels and electric cars, we will lower your taxation because we want that to be built here. What about then other, other industries to say, listen, we're a, we have a highly educated workforce. We have a dynamic workforce. We have a diverse workforce. We're, we're known as a workhorse of, of people. Let's bring these sectors in there's if i'm if i'm advising a business that is like hey i think we could do business in canada i'm advising them to think again because i'm thinking there's no there's nowhere to move here and when you look at the sheer amount of debt servicing you know that businesses are going to disproportionately bear the brunt of that because we simply don't have enough taxpayers so that's my disappointment with this thing overall is we don't we don't we haven't given the market anywhere to go and i know that there's that there's like, I mean, look at what's happening in Texas. People want to go there and want to do business there. And Texas has made that an attractive place to do business. Why can't we be Texas 2.0? We're so much more friendly. And we also wear the hats. Come on. We wear white hats. We're better than Texas. <laughs> They're Alberta <laughs> 2.0. <laughs> that's right. And that's the, and that's the promo for the show. <laughs> exactly. One of the one of the big things that I found, and this 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 was one of the things that I said, why why are they introducing this after they voted against it literally a week before? Funding, and I want to make sure I get this right here, funding additional dollars to help fight sexual misconduct in the Canadian Armed Forces as they seek to address anger and frustration over how the government has handled this issue. Literally introduce this a week after they just shut down any uh, potential insight over what has happened in the military in the last few years. What is your thoughts on this? I was appalled by this. Mm. Uh, well, I think you can see the look on my face, which your listeners cannot, but you certainly can. Uh, yep. You know, I'm, I'm even furious when Christian Freeland had the Je suis feminist on her shirt. And I thought, how dare you wear that when you had a tremendous amount of power to stand up for women in our, in our armed forces, you know, women of who know sexual assault, who have had their career derailed by sexual assault should be absolutely furious with this government. And I don't know where Aaron O'Toole is on this issue because he served in the military. If his, if his shit is clean, he ought to stand up and say, no way, no how we're going to reform this system. This is not, this is not right. I am, I am, I am furious at the closure of this inquiry period. I it's trolling now. Then when you say we're going to put additional money in to fix a problem that we readily just tried to hide, it's unconscionable to me. And it, it falls right into this bracket of, of Bill C-5, which is the additional training for for yeah. um, judges, 
for judges, which I think should be scaled to the RCMP. If there was ever a time for a nonpartisan issue to come to the floor and get everyone's vote, it is this. And I, I mean, I get really upset about it on my podcast when I talk about it because it's just unconscionable to me uh, that, that, um, that this is allowed to, that this is allowed to stand. I, on, on behalf of anyone who has experienced, um, you know, harassment and sexual violence in the workplace and has tried to go through a tribunal of reporting that and has been treated as poorly as a government is willing to condone. What a shame. What a yeah. shame. Justin Trudeau is no longer the feminist prime minister. Yeah. Uh, don't even, and his whole cabinet is complicit. His yeah. whole cabinet is complicit. His and whole this caucus is, what, what is me, complicit. Yeah, no, I don't disagree. I think all it would have taken is for is for one person, man, woman or other to stand up and say, uh, we cannot tolerate this. We have sold Canadians on on being a government that is simply not going to have this. We have a responsibility to set the standard for for what happens in industry and public practice and in all of our sectors of government. If we don't stand up on this, what have we been saying for the last five years? Yeah, I agree. I agree. And it boiled my blood when I read that and I saw yeah. it. And like I said, just a week after you've just announced that you're shutting down a inquiry into sexual misconduct into the military, you're adding money into it. What are you doing? You're, you're backtracking here. No, you can't do that. You, you get one shot at it and you did it. You closed it. You shut it down with the Bloc Quebecois, which I still don't understand why they voted against it, why they voted mm-hmm. to close it down. Mm-hmm. But like you said, Aaron O'Toole, if he was smart, he would have picked this up and ran with it. But he has fumbled the ball on this one as well. I and I don't get it. There has to be something that we don't know, because like I would have been like a dog on a bone on that and said, never let go. Don't let go. Just say everything that you have said about standing up for women, everything that you have said about what it means to be a feminist and all this intersectionality that you use as political porn. All you have done is betray that and make it meaningless and make it nothing. And I'm going to hold you to account. I, I, and, I don't know. Aaron O'Toole is not the only one. Let's be honest. Jagmeet Singh hasn't even done it as well. Yet again, Aaron O'Toole in the military. Michelle Remble should have been doing it. She has a husband who's in the military, American military. This should not stand. I was pissed. Anyway, there's my, yeah, there's but before our you, for the, Go ahead. But before you close it, I think it is, it becomes because now if, if the government can't do something, it always becomes the purview of civic society. I really hope that when we get back to face-to-face town halls, that, that, that women and men and servicemen and people who are allies for women, who, people who are parents to, to, to girls, people who, who are married to a woman um, will stand up and say, explain this to me in a way that you can justify it and go ahead and try. And if you don't answer it, the next person to get the microphone at this town hall is going to ask you the same question. Yeah. Well, not even if, even if ever, they could if do it on virtually send people like, honestly, like, yeah. Ask your MP, ask your yeah. MP what their take is on it. Cause I'll be ask, asking mine. Ask the 143 or 150 or however many who voted against the clo- voted for closure of this uh, atrocity. Anyway, back to the budget. <laughs> Good segue there. Um, we are coming up on the hour mark here. <laughs> I have one last big question for you. Sum okay. up this budget in one sentence. Oh boy. That actually might be the sentence. Um, sum, <laughs> sum up the sentence. In, um, 
sum up this budget yeah. because yet again we could so talk for probably two hours if you wanted we on this could, budget because totally. there's so much but go ahead totally i i would say um this is a budget that lacks vision lacks rigor and short changes canadians in the short term and in the long term my next question to that is if the government did fall could the liberals win on this budget no you don't think so no why not because i would disagree with you on that one yeah maybe it's also that i can't bear to say yes (laughs) i can't bear i can't bear maybe this is my own lack of reality therapy (laughs) you know there's a lot of there's a lot of winners here for key groups who they whose vote they want like let's be honest it's it is like oprah you get a car you get a car you get a you get a boat you get everything um but I, you know, I, this, this, this type of spending pushes us very far into territory that we've never, that we've never been in before. And I just wonder if, you know, we've come out of a year and almost a year and a half now where every day people have had to think about money. People have had to think about, am I going to make it to my next paycheck? Am I going to make it to my next mortgage payment? Um, is like, people are living with family. Um, people have had to spend in a year and a half thinking about money. How do I, where do I fit in the, in the government's, you know, handout of money because I've lost my job? Where do I fit in terms of helping others? We have, we have had a comeuppance with money. And I just wonder if now Canadians are prepared to say, this is too much money. This is just too much money. Do you think the average Canadian cares about budgets like this though? Um, because you and I, I are even, unique oddballs, yeah. let's be honest. Yes. We, yeah, we follow these the things Kool-Aid. religiously. Do you I think, think the average Canadian who is living paycheck to paycheck looks at the federal government and goes, well, you're spending way too much? Or do they go, oh, you're helping me this way? I think some do. Some do. Is it the majority of the electorate? I don't know. Um, but I do think that one of the things that we've lost momentum on is that when, when, Trudeau was first elected, he had a big sunny ways vision for how Canada was going to be. This budget doesn't have that same vision. This budget is just stuff. It lacks the, and that's why I said it lacks rigor because they could have said like, this is going to be the Canada 10 years from now. And this is how all this money gets us to that vision. This is just money. This is not a vision. And, and previous budgets have had vision now, sometimes not as much as they should, but previous budgets have had vision. This has no vision. This is just stuff. I agree wholeheartedly. Jen, like I said, we're on the hour mark. I want to thank you so much for doing this. This has been a enlightening, uh, while sometimes uh, interesting hour that I've spent. And I hope our listeners take out as much as we have put into this. So thank you so much for doing this. Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor to be nominated for this episode. Thank you for picking me. Um, You are our political commentator from now on. So every major federal issue that comes up, state of the state of the union. Oh, my God. Speech from the (laughs) throne. Hey, you said swing states at the beginning. I did. I did. (laughs) So uh, speech from the thrones. Next budget, even the provincial one. We'll be talking with Jen. Uh, listeners, please, 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 please. I said this in the last interview, but I want to say it again. Go subscribe to Conservative Like Me podcast on. I want to make sure I get them all right. So I'm going to get Jen to say, where can they subscribe on the for the show? Google, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. And now we're on YouTube, Conservative Ooh. Like Me. Or you Perfect. can reach me on Twitter 
at the Jen Sanford. That's Jen double N S A N F O R D. Jen, thank you so much for doing this. And all the links to those will be in the show notes. So Jen, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Thank you once again for listening to the Cross Border Interview Podcast. If you love this episode of the Cross Border Interview Podcast, head over to iTunes or wherever you get your podcast and subscribe, rate us, and leave us a review. All the links to our social media accounts are in the show notes or visit www.crossborderinterviews.ca. The Cross Border Interview Podcast was produced and edited by Miranda Brown and Associates Incorporated. Be sure to tune in for our next episode of the Cross Border Border Interview Podcast. Once again, thank you. Bye-bye.